Hello and welcome to the Garden History Podcast. My name is Adverley Richmond and I'm a garden, landscape and social historian. On the Garden History Podcast, I will be taking you through my A to Z of garden history based on the people, plants, places and features which you might find in and around the subject of garden history. Today is the letter K for Kentia Palm. Plants have been brought into the house in many countries and cultures for centuries, whether for their scent, for cooking, medicinal uses or simply to be admired for their beauty and structure. In recent years, there has been a huge surge in interest and demand for indoor plants and this includes Hawea forstariana, the houseplant better known as the Kentia palm. We have Lieutenant Henry Ligbird Ball to thank for the Kentias we share our homes with today. In 1788, while sailing to a settlement in the South Pacific Ocean, located between Australia and New Zealand, Lieutenant Ball noticed a small remote island in the distance, and he made a mental note to return and explore it. The island turned out to be uninhabited, and he named it Lord Howe Island after Richard Howe, the first Lord of the Admiralty at the time. Lord Howe Island, which is only seven miles long and one mile wide, remained unoccupied for nearly 50 years, until 1834 when it became a supply station to passing whaling ships. Now Lord Howe Island is home to four types of palm which are only found in that small region and one of them is the Kentia palm. The first houses on the island were built from the trunks of Kentia where they can reach up to 40 feet. The leaves can reach up to 10 feet in length and were often used for thatching roofs hence its local name of thatch palm. In 1869, Charles Moore, a botanist and director of the Sydney Botanical Gardens, visited Lord Howe Island in order to collect plants and seeds. Moore returned with specimens of the palm, which was described and subsequently named Kentia forstariana by the German botanist Ferdinand Muller. The plant was later reclassified as Hawea forstariana, which remains its correct botanical name. However, Kentia has become synonymous with this much-coveted plant. The Victorians were very fond of houseplants, but the arrival of gas lighting made homes smoky and the fumes given off were lethal to plants, not to mention the possible harm to human health through lack of adequate ventilation. However, there were some plants which managed to shrug off the polluted atmosphere, such as the Aspidistra, which was introduced from China in 1823. It was also known as the cast iron plant as it managed against all odds to survive in the dark, dry and polluted Victorian house. 
The Kentia Palm was quickly embraced because it also had the same cast iron resilience as the Aspidistra. But unlike the Aspidistra, the Kentia Palm evoked a sense of tropical extravagance, usually only found in far-flung places. Interestingly, the rise of the Kentia Palm can most certainly be attributed to the British tradition of afternoon tea. Back in 1840, Anna, the seventh Duchess of Bedford, developed the habit of taking tea and a snack around four o'clock because the gap between lunch and the evening meal was so long. didn't take long for other society hostesses to have their own regular tea gatherings in their drawing rooms. When Langham's Hotel in London opened its doors in 1865, afternoon tea featured prominently on their menu. And this became an increasingly popular attraction, with other grand hotels emulating it. Afternoon tea was served in a large sunny atrium, ornamented with large kentia palms displayed in beautifully decorated pots. These spaces became known as palm courts. And with the introduction of tea dances, a group of musicians regularly performed behind a living screen of kentias, and they were known as palm court orchestras. The plant soon made its way into fashionable parlours, drawing rooms and even ballrooms, and finally into large public winter gardens under glass. As demand increased... The popularity of the plant had an enormous impact on the economy of Lord Howe Island. The islanders turned to the collection of Kentia seeds for the escalating foreign indoor market and plants were now being advertised widely for sale across Europe and America. Kentia palms are slow growers, so if you couldn't purchase a decent-sized plant to impress your guests, then you simply hired a variety of indoor plants from nurserymen and plant contractors such as James Cochrane. Kentia palm leasing for the night, week or month became a mainstay which flourished from April until August, which was the busiest times for the beau monde during London's entertainment season. Large plants on wheels enabled them to be moved about to find the right spot in the house. Dedicated gardeners would visit the house to maintain the plants and replace any that were looking the worse for wear. In 1885, the British Journal of Horticulture reported that these kentias are in greater demand than almost any other palm on account of their great beauty and enduring properties. In other words, they were pretty hard to kill. Very soon, large plants in elaborate pots and urns could be seen in many portraits of the great and the good. But Kentia mania reached its peak when Queen Victoria endorsed them and was frequently pictured surrounded by them. And when she died in 1901, she left instructions for a large Kentia specimen to stand guard over her casket while she lay in state at the Albert Memorial Chapel. Meanwhile, the entire economic and social fabric of Lord Howe Island had began to revolve round the one species of palm, with the seeds only being available from Lord Howe Island, 
overseas buyers began to negotiate with individual islanders, which became a bit chaotic with people undercutting each other. But in 1918, tragedy struck when the SS Macambo ran aground on the island. The ship was harbouring rats and they soon spread across the island, wreaking havoc not only on the wildlife, but it also devastated the Kentia seed industry. Several attempts were made over the ensuing years to control the rodents, including paying islanders for each rat they dispatched when they produced a tail as evidence. They also tried to introduce owls, and eventually, after several years, the exportation of seeds slowly began to recover. And throughout the two world wars, the fortunes of the indoor plant waxed and waned. But in 1952, the Architectural Review reported that there were signs of a revival for the taste for room plants, as they were then called, because the term houseplants was only coined a few years later. And in 1961, the British author and botanist Dr D.G. Hessian published his highly influential book, Be Your Own Houseplant Expert, which encouraged people to sample the delights of owning indoor plants. The Kentia palm once more became a highly desirable indoor plant. But in order to regulate this renewed interest and inevitable increase in demand, the Lord Howe Island Board of Control decided to establish its own nursery on the island due to conservation concerns. Kentiers were notoriously difficult to germinate from seed away from their natural habitat. So the island then started exporting seedlings. And by 1981, seed exports had ceased completely and thousands of seedlings and small plants were now being shipped out to commercial nurseries all over the world. Today, the seeds are still wild collected in the traditional way by shinning up the trunk of the tree using a band of fabric on the collector's feet. The International Union of Conservation of Nature has this plant listed as vulnerable because after tourism, the Kentia palm still remains Lord Howe Island's only significant export, providing most of the income needed by the island's administration. Undoubtedly, its beautiful dark green foliage and historic resilience makes the Kentia palm one of the most sought-after houseplants on the market worldwide. It is also one of the most expensive, and now you know why. You can see an image of the Kentia palm on my podcast page at adverley.co.uk. You may also like to have a look at my pinned tweet at Adverley R, where you can see some of the features that I originally covered. Thank you for listening to the Garden History Podcast. And please join me again for the next episode. Until then, thank you and goodbye.